Welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent and transformational change. With me, your host, Professor Sally Eaves. In this special on the AWS Summit London, I've picked out the key takeaways that resonated most with me. The podcast is a culmination of the discussions had at the event with my top five message takeaways. So first on the list, it's Chris Wigley, CEO at Genomics England. We discussed the challenges throughout the pandemic period and how this has ultimately increased the rapid progression of clinical trials and innovation in this critical sector. So Chris, fantastic to join you after your keynote session here at AWS Summit London. So much I thought was really powerful. And what I loved about that is not just the speaking about the technology and how that's making a difference in healthcare, but the human stories that you brought to the fore as well. I love that. So for the audience today, can you share a bit more about your role at Genomics England and kind of how that way came to be a pass really? Sure. So I'm the Chief Executive at Genomics England. Um, I've been with the organisation for just coming up for three years. And before that, I've done a real mix of things. I've been a diplomat for the UK, so I was in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Bosnia. Um, did spend some time in consulting around technology strategy. Um, and before this was working with a machine learning company called Quantum Black, and we were building a range of applications for um, different, uh, different folks. But we did a lot of work in life sciences. And so that was kind of the link through to Genomics England. What have you seen as the biggest challenge and change with obviously the COVID situation? Because it's mm. really accelerated the curve in terms of innovation you know, HPC Consortium was something I was involved in. Right. Um, could you kind of bring to light what you've been doing there and the, the innovation that's brought about? Absolutely. So it's interesting you use the word ecosystem. It's a word that we use a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we largely see our mission as being to enable this whole ecosystem of genomics um, in the UK and beyond. And it's an incredibly rich ecosystem across all of the different parts of the NHS, um, academia, technology, sort of lab tech, the sequencing companies, um, biosciences and life, uh, life sciences and pharma, um, a huge, um, huge range of profiles, different organizations and so on. What COVID did was really actually electrify that whole ecosystem and kind of galvanize it into action. And I think the UK can be extraordinary proud of the contribution that we've made, both in terms of sequencing the virus itself and spotting all of the different variants and so on, um, sequencing humans, which was where we came in to understand how our DNA relates to the severity of the response um, to COVID, feeding those insights through into um, incredibly rapid and well-structured set of clinical trials through the recovery trials, repurposing drugs like dex dexamethasone, baricitinib, um, and feeding those straight through into clinical practice. And so we saw that um, things that in the normal, with normal approaches and in the normal run of things would have taken multiple years were happening in weeks or months. Um, and so one of the things that we're thinking about as we, you know, touch wood start coming out of the pandemic um, is how can we keep some of that sense of vision, purpose and pace to, um, you know, keep keep that pace of innovation moving Absolutely. forward. Absolutely. No, I love that. I think we have seen this contagion of positive change. Let's reclaim that word for something <laughs> yeah. positive, I think, which is great. And again, but in terms of collaboration, organisations that maybe were traditionally competitive really came together, didn't we? Yeah. Um, like the, the biggest 11 tech companies in the world, including AWS, were part of that consortium as an example. Yeah. So great, you know, power of what we can do with more open data sharing, I think is fantastic. 
Um, another area that is personal interest, so bias uh, acknowledged on this one, but I was a founder of a startup mm -hmm. um, a few years ago that was very much around using DNA for clinical trials. Right. So we use then like blockchain and AI, kind of like perfect marriage in many ways to kind of embed trust and help encourage more people to donate their data and have that choice about how it's going to be used. So whether it's for a research project, whether you want that to be monetized or, or free for charity use, for example. Are you doing anything around that? Because again, I think that's an ongoing challenge to, to get more, particularly for underrepresented groups. Absolutely. Well, there's a there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, yeah, there's a long you've used, question. Um, you've used some of my favourite words, though, which are um, trust and choice. I think those have to lie at the centre of everything that we do. Um, at Genomics England, through the 100,000 Genomes Project, we developed a a model of data governance, which I think is really powerful and has stood us in really good stead. Where the participants who took part in the project um, elected representatives to a participant panel. Fantastic. Um, who are incredibly generous with their time um, and who really help us to make the best decisions that we can make about how that data gets used. And as one example of that, people talk about um, engagement, we talk about involvement and so on. I think a word that's underused is power. Um, and the participants have um, the power to veto any use of the data. So any researchers, for example, who want to get access to the data to look for new diagnostics or new therapeutics um, need to be approved by a group called the Access Review Committee. The participants sit on that panel and if they want can uh, veto any proposals, can ask any questions they want, reassure themselves that this is a good use of, um, of their data. Fantastic. So one of the big questions for us is, as we're scaling to um, a, a clinical service with the NHS and as we're scaling the work we're doing on research, mm -hmm. how can we keep that sense of um, transparency, of trust, yep. of, um, of empowerment um, of those groups of, uh, of patients and research participants. Fantastic. I love that. The power of voice all coming together there equally, yeah. I think, is superb. And again, kind of a personal question here. I talk about the age of convergence a lot. So all these different technologies coming together and helping to scale change. So when you think about personalised medic medication or medicine and where we're going here, what's your vision? Where would you like to be? You know, if we we're having this conversation in a couple of years' time, what would you hope that's changed, either specifically in life sciences or, or more broadly for that? So it's a great... Um, it's a great moment, I think, of yeah. history that we live in. As you say, that all of these technologies are coming together. It's quite extraordinary. Um, I sometimes think about this as almost a sort of um, Spotify model of healthcare. Yeah. Bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I love listening to um, Discover Weekly, which is my playlist. Yep. Yep. It gets generated by machine learning on the back of data that, um, on what, in this case, what music I'm listening to. <laughs> Let's imagine we take that model of, there's an implicit data exchange here. I'm comfortable sharing my data um, about what I'm listening to. In return, I get um, recommendations that um, are really positive for me. If we can get to a point where we have a level of trust that um, people, citizens, feel comfortable sharing their data about their health, whether that's their DNA data, their clinical data, and so on, in exchange for recommendations about their lifestyle, about their diet, about exercise, about um, maybe um, if you're high risk for a particular thing, get, being part of a screening program earlier in your life, um, potentially even getting to the stage where we can say we can start um, making interventions before a disease manifests itself. So putting someone who's at really high risk of heart disease onto statins preemptively yeah. rather than waiting for them to have a heart attack. Um, I think that's an incredibly powerful vision um, and, and really from, uh, from cradle to grave, so to speak. Yeah. One of the projects we're working on at the moment is around um, exploring this concept of um, being able to opt into being uh, having your baby uh, sequenced at birth, yeah. um, huge 
set of you know ethical questions there around um, choice and around the, sure. over the course of that person's lifetime what they choose to do and so on. We know that um, markers in our DNA can help us understand a, a whole range of hundreds of individually rare but collectively quite common diseases yeah. that affect children in early childhood. And actually that's one way right at the beginning of life to give someone the best possible start yeah. to make, make those early interventions where they matter the most. But also then there's a really interesting question that we're exploring mm. around what would it mean to have your genome, have access to your genome as you grow up, as you're a teenager in your 20s, Absolutely. 30s, 40s, screening for things like cancer, heart disease, mm. or later life, um, things like neurodegenerative disease. So in many ways we're thinking about this as kind of a hundred year project mm. and yes. we're really at the stage of asking questions and testing hypotheses now rather than providing answers but that's something where we've talked to lots of parents, midwives, mm. others in the community and we'll continue to try and collectively figure out what we think um, the best way is to try and capture some of that potential while managing um, you know, very uh, robust challenges around the access to data, about the use of data Absolutely. and so on. I'd be fascinating the benchmark data you would get over that like hundred year period as you were describing yeah. it there. I mean, fantastic data. So I love that. Yeah. Um, maybe one final question, slight tangent, if I may. So again, one of the themes I think is running through today is around inclusion. Mm. I've literally just come from the Get IT finals, which was amazing. So there were yeah. two um, girl teams there, just presented. You know, 11, 12 years old, eight minute presentations, absolutely amazing. It was just the confidence was fantastic to see. Um, what would you advise people, you know, from a diversity of experience who might be thinking about a career in life sciences or tech? what would your advice be and is there any opportunities at Genomics England at the moment it'd be great to share a little bit about that too absolutely so diversity is a big word for us I mean on on the one hand there's a, a historic issue around genomic data and diversity yes. of representation yep. in the data sets that we've just launched a big uh, program around to engage with the different communities and make sure that we can earn their trust um, to be part of these research programs that can really benefit them and their communities we also recognize that for that trust to exist, the world of genomics itself has to reflect the communities that we serve. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And so with um, Health Data Research UK and others, we're taking part as one example of this in the 10,000 Black Interns program. Um, we have very diverse recruitment pipelines and um, our metrics on, you know, on the organization are almost kind of astoundingly diverse in lots of different ways Super. in terms of age, um, gender, the countries people come from, yeah. their, their backgrounds and so on. Um, and, and also I think their sort of mindset. Um, yes. You know, we have, yep. we have very deep scientists who have studied genomics their whole lives. We have yeah. UX designers, um, we have, um, you know, cloud architects, we have all of these different profiles, all with very different um, mindsets, yeah. but actually when they come together, they can do things and kind of make magic in a way that individually, each of those individual disciplines could never do. That's, a, that's incredible. And people watching here will know I talk about STEAM learning quite a lot. Right. So again, put that arts in it. And you've just yeah. literally described that kind of neurodiversity or different forms of experience, emotional intelligence, creativity, curiosity. Great word. We've heard a lot here today yeah. as well. So fantastic. You're really kind of putting that centre stage as well. So thank you for sharing that, Chris, as well. It kind of takes us full circle, I think, about why this matters so much. So thank you for joining us, Chris. Thank you so much. A real pleasure. And the next key takeaway from AWS Summit London is some of the amazing initiatives being demonstrated by Rob Sagira Gome from the University of Oxford. One that particularly springs to mind is the use of drones for thermal imaging, helping to assist with monitoring climate change and much more besides. 
So we're back at the Innovation Hub. I'm here with Rob from the University of Oxford. Thanks for joining us, Rob. Can you tell us more about this amazing project and what it's doing to advance all things sustainability, particularly around climate change? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sally. So one of the main challenges that we face in biology is being able to collect the data in a way that is fast, that is reliable, and that doesn't take a very long time until we can integrate it into our models. Typically, in biology, we would be training people which can be expensive and time-consuming. We would then be sending them to the field where, of course, we want to make the most out of that expense. So we put them through some very long days of field work. It's raining, it's hot, gets people tired. The data that emerge from those data collection efforts can be suboptimal. We made mistakes. So what we are trying to do in collaboration with Amazon Web Services and the Oxford Robotics Institute, as well as the Department of Biology, where I'm based, is optimize that pipeline. We know once we have got the data in our power and it's in a digital format, we know exactly what to do with the data. We can build models that help us understand how climate change is currently affecting our biodiversity and how climate change may affect it going forward. But really, in my field in biology, the bottleneck is data collection. So what we're doing these days is we are using drones such as this one, which is actually collecting thermal image. And this other drone that collects multispectral data, coupled up with some autonomous robots built by the Oxford Robotics Institute. We're using all of this technology in our backyard, which is Whiteham Woods. Whiteham Woods is a patch of land owned by the University of Oxford where we have got different experiments. And this technology is now being used to monitor, as you can see in the background, how the grasslands of this forest are responding to different extreme events, such as droughts or extreme events of precipitation flooding. And what do you see as the next step in this process? So obviously I know Whiteham quite well, funnily enough, so because I, I come from the Oxford area. Um, yeah. So where are you looking to trial it next in terms of scaling this? Um, and where do you see the biggest kind of sectoral impact um, from this innovation? So there's, there's two steps, I think, along the pipeline. The ultimate vision is to be able to deploy this pipeline in places where it's most needed. Yes. Climate change models around the globe tells us that there's three main ecosystems that are particularly vulnerable to extremes of droughts, fires, hurricanes and those are namely tundra, deserts, and tropical forests. Now, what's common to all of them is that they're very far away from Europe, with the exception of tundra. And most research-intensive institutions are based in countries that don't, don't house those ecosystems. So being able to take this technology to remote places, the tropical belt, Costa Rica, Bolivia, for instance, taken to deserts such as the Karoo Desert in South Africa, ultimately even taken to the Arctic in remote places where you can deploy the technology, it can behave fully automatic and send us the data yes. so that we can collect data and utilize it in our ecological models from the comforts of our offices. That's the ultimate vision. That's awesome. I love that and the resiliency there as well. Things like disaster recovery and like the environmental impact of that kind of situation and be able to go in there and do that safely. Yep. Um, a kind of human-machine partnership personified there in many different ways, isn't it? And for people who are looking to get into a career in this area as well, because I think inclusion has been an amazing theme at the summit today. Have you got any advice or any opportunities at the moment to reach out to people to get more involved in this area as well? Because I'd love to showcase that too. It's Absolutely. something close to my heart. Uh, that actually creates a beautiful opportunity. So we're always open to 
um, people interested, students interested in, in working with us. We, we do have some internships available in my lab at Oxford to work with us in Whiten Woods over the summer. So anybody who's interested in this, they should get into contact with us. And um, the advice that I would give to students who are interested in this type of research would be 50% of it is just applying for things. If you if you kind of think that you're not good enough to get into a position like this, you're you're really losing the battle. So you have to you have to throw your hat onto the arena, as they say, right? Absolutely. Take a risk, take an opportunity. And nine times out of ten, it will pay off, won't it? Absolutely. I think that's so true. So for everybody listening and watching at the moment, there are opportunities here right now to get involved, which I think is amazing. And also, we'll share more all about what you're seeing here so you can find out all the details and what's coming next. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. My next highlight is a discussion with Tanujat Rendiri, Emir Managing Director at AWS. It was an absolute pleasure to discuss the amazing Restart Scheme, opening up new opportunities to a diversity of talent in tech and other initiatives too, addressing underrepresented groups. For example, attracting more girls and women. Let's change that narrative on what a tech career actually looks like. So, Tanuja, honestly, where should we start? I think the Get IT finals would be a wonderful place. We've just come from there. I think most joyful thing of the summit so far, seeing these girl teams who were just the most phenomenal presenters at the age of 11 or 12. Because like, you've done that at that age, it's absolutely incredible, wasn't it? How amazing. Amazing, honestly. I was sitting there and I thought, tears in my eyes, yeah, really. Absolutely. You know, these five girls walk up and they're so confident. Yes, indeed. Uh, in indeed. that massive theatre. Yeah. I mean, I'd be getting like shakes and they were Absolutely. so good i thought they handled the questions really well super because it's one thing to come prepared and you know have everything yes. there but then you yeah. know we asked them questions they had no idea we've been asking those questions absolutely. absolutely it was perfect but what i really loved about it sally was that at such a young age purpose was such a big piece absolutely. of the thing that absolutely. they did i mean food wastage on the one side and immigration yeah. support on the other and she was so in the runners-up yes. was the immigration team absolutely absolutely when she came back up and she said I just wish you will certainly do something here. I just thought absolutely. we've got to do something. Yeah, here. I had tears in my eyes when she spoke like that. It yeah. was just absolutely amazing. And I think sometimes people you know, want to change the narrative about what young people stand for. Do you know what I mean? That purpose driven all the way and also data driven in that particular yes. example as well. It was absolutely packed through their research about you know, why this matters so much to local and global communities it was absolutely first rate. So kind of SDGs or sustainable development goals was embedded in everything they were talking about. So for the future, very much bright, I would say. With, with talent like that is amazing. I amazing. hope they can follow through on it as well. So, and I think the support you're doing to, to help enable that to happen is really fantastic. Well, I have to say, when I came in here, and I've been here about 10 months, as you know, yeah. this program and the other one that you know very well, yes. our restart yes. program, I, I think we're making such a difference. Absolutely. And uh, Absolutely. I just had the teacher of the school pop by, and she just said, it's 70% now wow. of her IT computing class yes. are girls. That's incredible. I love it. I love it. That's tangible results, isn't yeah. it? You've just reminded me as well, because I was at reInvent, um, first probably big event, but back after, you know, pandemic and events and things like that. And I met a lady called Charlotte, yes. so Charlotte Wilkins, and she'd been yes. furloughed um, and she was looking at what do I do next? And she was looking at, you know, what courses are available, etc. And we were talking about skills access, but also skills confidence as well as a huge thing. And I kind of came up with this phrase of click to commit because she said she was kind of hovering over that button because I, I haven't got a background in tech. Can I do it? But I want to. Um, and that program, that 10 week program with Restart has changed her life. And at the end of it, also the power of social media, because she posted about her, like, her cloud credits, etc. Yes. She shared her story on LinkedIn and effectively people were so moved by that and so impressed with 
of her talent. She had a job offer and she's now like a cloud engineer going straight from that program. Yeah. That visibility, I think, is huge. I mean, when we say we've invested hundreds and millions yes. of dollars yes. uh, in training 29 million people for huge. free, huge. and when we say anybody yes we really really mean anybody um, and and in Charlotte's story is phenomenal and the nice thing about that is you actually get a job yes exactly. so it's not just training because mm -hmm. we can all do training yes but yep. it's the ability to connect the training with the mm -hmm. actual job exactly. which changes people's exactly. lives I think it's 12 weeks by the way yes I think oh, it's 12, a 12 yes. weeks yep. um, classroom yep. classroom based training exactly. course which is exactly. incredible and we're rolling that out across quite a few countries and cities super now, impressive actually. and the peer-to-peer -peer support you get along the way that came to the fore for me as well that kind of safe space to kind of share how you're feeling and learn from other people and kind of creating that opportunity I think is huge well you know we um, I know we're gonna spend some more time on this topic but I actually think education yes is um, is the big equalizer, mm -hmm. you know, and, and what we're trying to do here is just yeah. say, you know, we're democratizing digital exactly. skills. Exactly. Um, we did some research recently, I think it was a thousand um, decision makers yep. across a number of countries in EMEA. And the biggest thing that they said was the hurdle to them being able to accelerate their transformation and reinvention yes. yep. was digital skills. Absolutely. I think it was Absolutely. 42% of those surveys wow. say that they wow. just don't have the skills. And when I get out to speak to um, CEOs, yep. the three things on their mind, mm -hmm. skills is yes. one of those three. Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, and it's not just... It's not just skills, it's digital skills. Indeed, indeed. Um, so we really need to get that done. I mean, we've, we've also published a digital skills study, which is really interesting. 11.6 million people in wow. Britain that say they just need that and don't have it, just to keep up Exactly, exactly. And to change the narrative around that as well, because again, so I was involved in some research recently, and it's got, it's got this title, like grand title, PI. Sounds like private detective or something, doesn't it? But it's principal investigator. So it's conceiving new research and kind of, kind of come up with the constructs for it and things. And Vanson Bourne were involved in that quite recently. And again, top three barriers for digital transformation, all different forms of digital literacy. And not just access to skills, but that confidence to apply them in roles as well. So you're absolutely bang on. It's a huge one. And also, like younger people as well. I think there's assumptions that if you're in Generation Z or Z, depending on where you are in the world, um, that you're always kind of naturally skills confident. Yeah. And even in the EU, there was a percentage, kind of about 17% were saying, I self-identify as not being confident at all. And I don't have access to a certain phone or a certain tablet. So it's everywhere. It's a real, real challenge. And yeah. kind of addressing that early on, I think it's huge. Yeah, and I mean, given that all of us are facing yes. this incredible yes. war for talent, by the way, yes. I mean, yes, very I, true. I, I don't care who you are. Of course, we're <laughs> Amazon and we're AWS and we hire a lot of people yes. were excited about yep. that you know given given the growth that we're experiencing in Absolutely. the business but frankly the retention angle yes, is also super huge. important and the reskilling angle so mm -hmm. it's one thing to attract yes indeed. we all have to get out yep. there and we've got an early career talent and we talk a little bit about that would be Absolutely. great but then actually in late career mm -hmm. you know being able to reskill people definitely, um, definitely and we find that because when our customers are moving from legacy infrastructure mm -hmm. to actually moving to the cloud yes the changes they make to their business model their mm -hmm. operating model the cultural pivot that you have Absolutely. to make Absolutely. and then the training you have to do of these people to be able to actually reskill them but yeah. it's phenomenal I mean yeah, so a huge amount of um, I mean, there was a Forrester study if I'm not mistaken that talked about the, re the link 
with retention yes. of training and certification. Absolutely. And again, some pandemic research as well was looking at diversity of experience and retention. Yep. And it was kind of saying, particularly about women in tech, that there'd been quite a churn over this period of time. And there was this statistic and it was so stark. And it was kind of saying, she so was looking at security in particular, so women in cybersecurity roles. Right. And it was looking at their love of their role. And it was around like the 85% mark, loving their role. And then it looked at propensity to leave that role in 12 months. And it was 20% higher than their male counterpart who had a slightly lower love for the role in the first place. It was really stark and it was kind of looking at cultural factors came out as number one, as the biggest kind of barrier or negation to staying in a role. So that kind of how you yeah. embed inclusion, diversity, equity and belonging, frankly. I think it is that fourth part. I All think inclusion that is, is belonging, actually. Yeah, yeah I do. It's, um, totally agree. Yeah, and we think about it that way at Amazon mm. as well. As we think about inclusion as really a belonging Absolutely. factor. Mm. It's, it's making sure that people also have the psychological safety. Yes, yes. Uh, and absolutely. confidence in their abilities yeah. and they feel like they have the ability to try definitely, and fail. Yes. I love that. Um, I mean, that's the one thing, by the way, about our culture that I think is phenomenal. Yeah. And that's this ability to just constantly enable people to experiment. Definitely. We talk about things like two-way door decisions. Just mm -hmm. get on with it. Yep. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing that all organizations need to definitely. embed. Definitely. Because that's what's going to break open diversity. Because, mm. you know, of course, policies, all of that is really yeah. critical, uh, but at the end of the day, it's the environment I'm in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and do I feel like I am able to put my hand up, exactly. you know, speak yep. openly at yep. the table, doesn't matter where I come from, what I look like, how yep. I speak, what exactly. my, what my, by the way, um, accent is. Yes, very yeah, true, I mean, so know, true. It's so important for us to be respectful of all mm. of those, and I think um, we are, by the way, doing quite a lot of, we have these inclusion ambassadors. Yes, yes. And I love that idea of these champions Indeed. who are both out there, you know, working with the likes of Absolutely. Get IT, yep. but also internally. Mm. And then we also talk about sort of bias interrupters. Yes. Um, so a lot of our meetings, you know, we'll say, okay, who's going to be the bias interrupter at the meeting? I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> the one thing about Amazonians, I'll tell you. <laughs> People are super happy to be quite vocal about how they feel. And I love it that because they will raise the LP and they'll say, sorry, you actually didn't play that LP the way it should be played. Uh, sorry, leadership principle. Yep. And, um, and so we actually appoint bias interrupters mm -hmm. in the meeting rooms yep. and, and it makes a huge difference. That's impressive. And you mentioned leadership principles there as well. Yep. And I love the fact, again, going back to the competition today, the student teams, yep. they had that, I know it's part of the process, but they were literally considering that at age of 11. How impressive is that? And for the future, like literally considering these things as part of everyday life, they're right doing that right, right from that start, which I think is fantastic. So it is. It is. Yeah. And we need to ensure, I mean, uh, we get, a oh, I think, irrespective of which tech company you are, mm. or frankly, non-tech company, there are a lot of women getting into yep. the pipeline, as yes. we know. Yep. The issue is, to your point earlier, yeah. keeping them in the pipeline, yes, keeping them absolutely. motivated through the career, because mm. what you do see is the leaky pipeline. Yes. Is, and this is great, because I see it reflected in my peers, yes. um, is making sure that the top management mm -hmm. teams have enough diversity on them. Perfect. You know, and that's not just female, but no, of no, course, no, absolutely of course, not. I mean, we're yes. both, you know, yeah. interested in the gender diversity front, yeah. but it's actually bringing in a whole diversity of thought as well. Yes. And so we're doing that. Um, um, and then the other thing we've been doing is through our promotion process and through the process that we go through where we sort of review our yes. talents, yeah. we're making sure that we're sort of looking ahead at our talent and saying, okay, 
you know, who are the women or the ethnic minority teams who we think are really going to be and have the potential Brilliant. to be leaders in the company. And of course, you have to also live our leadership principles absolutely, to be leaders. Absolutely. And then engaging them and actually sponsoring them. We have a program called yes. Amplify, which is all about creating the sponsorship program Super. for females. Because I think women are, mm -hmm. frankly, over-mentored. Yes. And under-sponsored. Yes. So this is about opening the doors for them, finding them those opportunities. Super. That, and actually, to be honest, helping them raise their hand. Yes. Very true. Um, very, very true. Let's be, we've all been through that, right? Yeah. And again, going back to, I'm going to go back to research again on that question. Yes. Because you're absolutely right. Because like, it kind of says consistently, you know, CVs or promotion opportunities, or whether it's external or internal, kind of, if you look at the research, it's kind of men uh, typically, but it's not just about gender, but typically, we, we talk about that for, for a second, but typically don't feel the need to tick all the boxes. Yeah. So kind of, you get 60 75-70% of that job criteria, I can go for that kind of thing. But if you're a female, it tends to be, I need to literally check every single box yeah. there to, to even think of applying. So that's where that sponsorship thing becomes really important, I think. making It's a far more active approach, isn't it, in terms of putting people forward for things. So I think it's a really interesting It's one, critical, that. and I'll give you a personal experience. You know, I remember, I mean, I had been in consulting most yep. of my career, at least my early career. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd spent, gone seven years at McKinsey. Yes. Um, and, I, and I decided, I really want to run a business. Okay. And I knew I wasn't going to get there from having been only a consultant. Sure, right? You had sure. to go out and get some yeah, operational experience under your belt. But of course, when you leave consulting, the first job they give you is strategy because yes. they're afraid <laughs> to give you a P&L because you're not going to be able to manage that. But I so remember the CEO of the company that I joined, and it was Colt, mm -hmm. and he said to me, after a couple of years helping him on his strategy and okay. transformation journey, um, and thank you, Jean-Yves, for that break. Um, you know, when I think about what one day he calls me into his office, yeah. he said, right, tomorrow you're going to pack your bags and off to Belgium. I'm like, uh, okay, yeah, great. What are we doing? Are we opening a new data center, etc." In those days, it was building data centers. And he said, uh, no, you're going to go run the Benelux region. Wow, love it. And I mean, I was petrified, <laughs> but I just thought, wow. That's I'm just going to do it. And I think that's my one, one big piece of advice mm. to, to women out there is mm. take that risk when it comes, you know, Absolutely. you know, what's the worst? The worst is it's not going <laughs> to work out and you're going to, you know, try something else. Exactly. Uh, but exactly. not having, if I hadn't made that move, mm. I think my career would not be where it is right yeah. now. And, and luckily for me, my, my husband mm. is incredibly supportive. Mm. And so we just packed our bags and moved to Benelux. Oh, wow. I love that. So, what a great story that is. That's fantastic. Yeah, that yeah. is lovely. And the visibility of stories like that is a huge one. You mentioned role models there. Um, and again, I love the way you phrase that because about diversity of experience, I think. Like neurodiversity, you almost mentioned it just now. And I think that gets underexplored as, as, as a really important factor. Um, so one thing I'll flag while I'm thinking of it is 365. So that's a series that, that I run, a non-for-profit series, right. and it's kind of like putting a focus on inclusion every single day for the year. Because you know, we get important days like International Women's Day or Girls in ICT, there's so many of them which are great for focus, but you need to make sure we look at that every single day of the year. So the youngest person I've interviewed for that is seven, and the oldest is in their 80s. And so soon there's going to be this kind of like website wall, so it's like a living wall, you can kind of touch and feel it and people's stories will come out. Oh, I love that. So again, so for people watching that now, if you know someone, or if you are someone, again, put yourself forward for things as well get in touch because we'll, we'll showcase you because it'd be great uh, it's important to do that i think it really is it makes, it makes a difference it, it makes does a difference. and you know I, I think what happens is like people look at you know people like yourself or me 
or whatever, and they think, you know, gosh, can I really do that? I yeah. mean, was it all luck? Well, there was a bit of luck, believe me. There's always a bit of yeah. luck in everything you do. But I think the things that really help you, and yeah. help me at least personally, and there's no one, Absolutely. by the way, there's Absolutely. no one right answer, so mm -hmm. don't write it down and replicate this because it doesn't always work. But the tips and tricks could. Yeah. And I think, you know, I had a real plan mm -hmm. in my life. You know, my father, actually, let me, let me go back a bit. My father, and I, I think this is a common thread, my father was hugely, hugely mm -hmm. sort of pushing and encouraging me to do everything. And he totally believed I could do anything. And he was an entrepreneur, and I would follow him yep. around and watch him and what he would do, right? And he was amazing. Yep. And what he did really, really well was master the communication angle. Amazing. So that was something that yep. sort of stayed with me. And by the way, I will say to you, going to drama school helps. It yep. really helps. It's, right. a, it's yes. a great thing. But then the second thing is being super clear about what you want to be. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. where do you want to go? And my North Star was I want to run a company someday, mm -hmm. like my father, actually. Yeah. Um, but you know you can't get there straight. Absolutely. And so you have to be super open and flexible mm -hmm. about taking a set of risks and things in your career, and they may not look like they're 100% what you need to do, Yes, you might have to step yeah. back. Brilliantly inspiring story, I love that. So perhaps we could also just touch more on skills as well. So again, I'm gonna acknowledge my own bias here, so I'm a massive advocate of that STEAM learning. So effectively arts in their wider sense equal value to tech skills, for example. So empathy, emotional intelligence, that type of thing. What's your take on that? And what skill would you, you know, encourage people to invest in the most, for example? Well, you know what, I'm a big fan too. And Perfect. actually, I'm not an engineer either. Yep. Um, you know, I started my career in economics. Uh, I mean, that's what girls did in India when we were growing up. You know, we Absolutely. sort of were encouraged to go down the economics yep. route. Um, and then, I, but my father was in technology. So I sort of followed him around yep. and watched him with, you know, fax machines and microphone equipment. But I think having done economics was good because it gave me that very strong sort of mathematical yes. background. Absolutely. On the other hand, I did a ton of drama through school. Yep. Um, which I think is really, really critical. And then in early days when I joined McKinsey, I have to say, I got my comms skills mm -hmm. training, like really, really well. You know, they would operate on the basis of this yep. pyramid principle, which is really, really important. Yep. So I think a combination actually of some tech skills combined with, I don't know what that could be. It could be history, it could be literature, yep. it could be drama, it could be music. My son is studying astrophysics at Cambridge, yep. but he also did a piece in, uh, he, did, he took a little uh, philosophy course. Fantastic. Because I think, yep. I really think that whole EQ, IQ combination Definitely. that we talk about is super critical. Absolutely. Um, and frankly, as we, as we get into leadership roles, the key is influence. Yes. And the key is really being able to coach and mentor, Absolutely. and that, that it's not about core, core, core tech skills alone. Um, so it is a combination science. I love that. Know. I love that. Because we talk about like enterprise agility a lot, don't we? Or organizational agility. And sometimes we talk about team agility less or personal agility even less than that. So I kind of imagine this toolbox of all the different skills that you can dip into and learn and grow. And that gives you that confidence. And also the confidence to apply skills as well. Like things like metacognition. I've seen some really good work around that. It's kind of like gym for your brain is how I would describe that. And kind of identifying what learning skill works for you the most. And that can help you learn smart. Like we talk about smart tech, but smart learning is important as well so yeah and it's really interesting 
I think learning, you know, we, we I feel anyone can learn anything, yep. actually, if they Absolutely. put their mind to it, right? Definitely. And so what we do a lot in our hiring process, by the way, is when we bring people in, we're really looking for cultural fit, exactly. right? Yes. So we're looking for people who are builders. <laughs> we're looking for people who are hungry yep. to want to experiment. We're looking for people who are actually wanting to take some risk and try some things and not worry if things fail, Love it. right? Love it. And then the rest yep. we can teach because you exactly. know, exactly. Um, with all of the training and certification we're doing, yep. we can teach anyone about tech skills and digital skills. I saw the queue around the door. People are eager to do another certification, which is fantastic. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. Absolutely. And the word curiosity, by the way, I've seen that used so many times today, which I think is possibly right. the most underrated, but possibly the most important skill, that, that curiosity. And I know we're short of time, but can we do one final shout out to one of your specific programs? So restart. Because again, I think in terms of democratization, and making sure that's available for people of all ages, for example, a lot of people at the moment reflecting what they want to do next. And it's a great opportunity to go into a new area so can we do a little just final shout out for that yes yes and it's a phenomenal program and makes us very very proud and you mentioned Charlotte yep, earlier absolutely and she's a graduate of restart yes. but restart really is a 12-week classroom training program yep. and it takes people who are sort of the underemployed unemployed yes. underrepresented communities and helps them actually get these digital cloud skills Wonderful. and get some a job exactly right? and that's exactly. the key thing so you can it doesn't matter who you are um, you could be a barista you could be a exactly. undergrad you could be a yep. tech person you know anybody can take this course and it's 12 weeks I love that. And I'll end on a closing thought because we talk about the great resignation a lot at the moment and people reflecting on that. And I think examples of a program like that, giving skills access, giving skills confidence and an opportunity to apply it in a role, that's what the great aspiration should be all around. So that's the, that's the way I'd like to coin that. Thank you so much. Thank Honestly, you. what a great time. And I hope to chat to you again soon and talk about the next development. I look forward to it. Thanks for everything you do. My pleasure. Thank you. And the next takeaway centers on embedding sustainability by design. I talked all things sustainable water with Malcolm McDermott, CEO at the Aqua Libra company. They're a great example of scaling tech as a force for good. So we just popped into the innovation lab here at the AWS Summit. I'm here with Malcolm from Aqua Libra. Can you share a bit more with the audience about what you've been doing? Because it's a great example of tech for good um, in this space. So I'd love to hear more. Absolutely. So we're, we're an incubator that's owned by Brickvic Soft Drinks, who are a large soft drinks manufacturer. And we're looking to innovate in spaces that reduce packaging um, and obviously answer sustainability challenges for the future. So the units themselves um, have been developed from the ground up they have uh, cartridges inside the base there which are um, small box type things which uh, hold the equivalent of a thousand plastic bottles per cartridge so one of the big things about this is that you shouldn't need to ship the water that makes the drink everywhere so we filter the water we bring it up to the right standard and then obviously we, we add the flavorings and combine those to that that's fantastic and from what you were telling me before as well you're kind of paying attention to every part of the life cycle around sustainability as well could you share a bit more about what that looks like and how people can find out more about this as well yeah, absolutely so for us it's really important that we don't introduce any environmental plastic off the back of this um, one of the massive challenges for soft drinks in general is that when a consumer takes a bottle they need to recycle it properly what we do with this is make sure that any of the cartridges that, that come through here come back in a closed loop they're actually NFC tagged so when someone changes a cartridge they tag that in the machine let us know that that's happened and work through it like that 
That's fantastic. So Smart Tech and the power of partnership here with AWS as well. And I love the fact that you're literally embedding it right through the life cycle. That's what we need to kind of scale sustainability impact, isn't it? A fantastic. And finally, is my interview with Rob Smedley, Director of Data Systems at Formula One. We discuss how AWS and Formula One work together closely for data-driven tech sports innovation, and also a fantastic initiative from Rob that's enabling an easier entry into the world of Formula One, opening up opportunities for children of all backgrounds. Interrupt you right in the middle of your deep racer uh, experience at the minute, but can I just grab a minute of your time to talk yeah, about yeah, what we're doing here? So great, great example of tech in action, um, yeah. and obviously, wonder if you could share a bit more about the power of partnership. Oh no, have I interrupted the game? No, no, yeah, you're go, go, go for it. Go I've for just it. Did an <laughs> oh wow, well, you're going to be on the you're going to be on the board. Twenty nine three. Brilliant stuff. Okay, so power of partnership. How is the relationship with AWS making things like this happen? So has it making a difference for F one? I mean, I think what, what, what you're seeing here is, is, is pure AWS technology and, and, and it's a technology play which is, you know, trying to introduce a much wider demographic to machine learning, to analytics, you know, that type of stuff. And I think this is it's just really fun when you come to an event like this, you see the massive queues of people trying to trying to get here. There's a competitive element to it, right? Because, yeah, you know, exactly, because all of us techie people, yeah, We've all got a massive ego, and we all want to see whether uh, whether or not you know we're, we're, we're as good as, as uh, or we can we can better our um, our competitors. And and I think this is just a great showcase for it. You know, if you go through the the, the initial phases of this, it it teaches you a little bit about reinforcement learning. It gets you a little bit into ML. You know, really really cool way of doing it. And then you kind of race against. You know, you do this the, your first few laps where you where you, where where you train the model. You know, your own model, and then you race against your own model. It's just a really Really cool way of doing it. That's really cool. I love it. I love it. What about encouraging people to get into the industry as well? Again, getting curious, seeing tech hands-on. I think it's a great way to kind of open up, you know, access to sports careers, tech careers, and say, look, you can build something like this. Amazing. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that, that's that's what this should all be about, right? You know, especially you know the, the the partnership between Formula One and AWS. You know, two great brands, two brands who are all about you know within their DNA. There's this can-do attitude. It's about building solutions. You know, it's about being part of the solution, not. Being being part of the problem and that's what technology is about you know technology is all about you know finding solutions to problems where which otherwise are very difficult to solve right and 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 if we can you know by by putting on events like this by showcasing the partnership through something like deep racer arcade if that gets more young people enthused and and and, and into technology and into the industry brilliant I love it. And what about the fan experience? Well, what can you share about the innovation there to help get, again, empower fans to be part of the experience too? You know, again, Formula One, you know, going around the tours and stuff. What's changed there too? Well, I think, you know, the, the, the big thing that's changed and, 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 and it's something which is manifest through the partnership with AWS is that, you know, we're using data, we're using technology to showcase the complexities of Formula One, but to explain the complexities of Formula One in a simple way. Formula One, without a doubt, is... is 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 the most you know the the most technologically advanced sport on the planet? Oh, I'm off again. Hang on. Uh, go for it. Go for it. I think you're gonna get a better time this time. Yeah, yeah. I'll help you. I'll help you. Just left a bit. Left a bit. <laughs> I think I'm better one-handed, but I'm not sure that uh, any of my compatriot drivers would uh, be quite so um, so blasé as to do the Barcelona track one-handed. <laughs> 
I'll tell you what, I'm going to add in a bonus question. Your karting initiative, tell us about that, because it's amazing. Diversity in tech, getting more kids involved, opening up access to get experiences, you know, hands-on with driving. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's, that, that is what, you know, we want to get more kids, you know, involved in motorsport. We want to get more kids involved in, in STEM education. Yep. And the way to do that is to do it through the grassroots, you know. The grassroots, unfortunately, is incredibly expensive. We're trying to make it more affordable. We're trying to break down barriers. When you break down the barriers, you get a more diverse cohort. It's about finding the best talent, not about the kids who've got the biggest budget. It's about getting kids into technology, into STEM education in a, in a contextualized way that they can understand and they're passionate about. You know, all of that good stuff. And and, and if we can do that, you know, it's like what we talked about earlier. If, if, if by putting on an event like this, we turn one, two, three, four, ten kids onto technology and put them into a into a on on, on the path path of a of a career in technology. It's a brilliant thing. If we can do that with with my carton initiative, um, it, you know, equally it's brilliant. I love it, Rob. Thank you so much. I'm going to let you get back to your game. See if you can get even higher on the leaderboard. But honestly, it's lovely to see you again. Thank you so much. So, in summary, the AWS Summit London brought together the five pillars of technology, skills, culture, passion, and sustainability. It absolutely stood out to the fore for me. The tangible power of ecosystem partnerships has been demonstrated alongside a welcome return to live events too. Long may that continue. And for more information on the projects discussed, more information is available right now in our show notes. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to us and leave a review. It really means a lot. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind the scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening.